we did Sex in the City. We wrapped in like June of 98. And the a couple of the assistant directors were going on to work to El The Sopranos. It was going to start up like a month later. Okay. And so they were taking some of the crew from Sex in the City. And I remember at the wrap party for Sex in the City, one of the ADs said to me, are you sure, do you want to come do The Sopranos with us? And I said, no, I didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't want, I just wrapped Sex in the City. It was a, it was a tough one. And my, ba- I just had a baby. And so I was busy. I just wanted to like have the summer, like not working or with the baby. Right. Hi. I'm Meredith Jacobson Marciano. I'm the casting director, and you're watching Folks Alert. to the folks alert show my guest today is meredith uh, jacobson marciano meredith how are you i'm fine thank you how are you i'm doing pretty good welcome welcome thank you i'm happy to have you here today happy to be here before we even start uh i know we've been talking off and on but i i gotta ask you how are you doing oh i'm doing fine thank you it's um I always seem to have a lot of things going on with work and actually my phone just pinged because I'm getting work things right now. But, um, so I, I am just always very busy and not that I always want to be, but just for now I am. And, and that's, that's fine. It's, you know, distracting and the days go by. Wonderful. Well, I, I I knew your husband, right? I I Mm -hmm. called him. You know, actually, I think I sent him an email in, uh, requesting an interview. And he was like, sure. Okay. This was, I think, was three years ago. Yeah. Well, well it was during it was during the pandemic, for sure, that you did right. that. Or, or maybe the initial um, communication was three years ago. But uh, I do remember the night that you were doing the interview. I was just in the other room working, but I heard him, you know, right. and then I watched it there. I, and you know what, you know, I got to know him a little bit better and it was a cool, it was a cool interview. And, you know, I, I was really, I was now starting out doing this, this podcast stuff, you know, even, I don't know if it could even be considered a podcast anymore, but I was really appreciated. He took the time, got on the phone with me, talked to me off air, you know, gave me tips, uh, even the way I start the show now is a, a tip my hat to him because it oh. was him 
right? That's nice. Because That's great. he um when he when he came on, he was like, This is Eric Marciano, and you're listening to Folks Alert. Uh-huh. And I before the even the, the interview even start, and I was like, I need to start doing that. <laughs> that's where that's well, where that's, I got this from. Right. Well, that's because he had years of conducting interviews for mm-hmm. all the documentaries. So he would often have people introduce themselves at the beginning of the documentary, or he knew what to tell them to say to get the ball rolling. You know. He man, listen, Meredith. He's given me so much jewels. You know. And I, and it, the time that we we had the communication we had, I I am very grateful, you know. And I wish I can call him up, you know, and just talk to him about, you know, we and we talk about just random stuff, you know. He would send me stuff, and you know, we'll communicate by email, you know. But right. he was before he left us, he gave me some jewels, some really valuable jewels, and I That's really great. appreciate that. That's great. And, you know, me too. I'm, I'm happy that you're here. I am. Um, I'm sorry for your loss. I know you're doing better now, but it, it's just never going to be the same without Eric not around. No, he was a big, big presence in a lot of people's lives, and you only just barely knew him, and so recently. Mm-hmm. And there's, you know, people he's known forever who just are um, constantly reaching out to me, which is beautiful. I mean, he's he's very missed. Yeah, that was us about 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Yep, and that dress came from Sex and the City. I remember that from the wardrobe (laughs) sale, a beautiful Chanel gown. (laughs) So the dress is from Sex and the City. Yeah, from the wardrobe sale. And the suit that he's wearing, if I remember correctly, I got at the Sopranos wardrobe sale. That might have been tagged Ralphie. It Mm might have been one of Ralphie's suits. (laughs) Because I worked at um, the office for both of those projects was at Silver Cup Studios in Long mm-hmm. Island City, Queens, and um, wardrobe sales were fantastic. <laughs> I got so much stuff, especially Sex in the City, of course. Um, the Sopranos was a lot of suits um, and, and windbreakers and track suits and things like that. But um, we were always invited to all the, the uh, wardrobe sales at the Wrap, you know, before they either decided to save things or return things, you know, so. Is that common? So when when you shoot a movie and you get the wardrobe, they usually sell those stuff off? It really depends on the project and the budget of the project. Because there are some projects that are really low budget and they don't have a huge wardrobe allowance. And maybe the stuff they get isn't that high end. Maybe the look of the film is not that high end. So it might be a lot of jeans and t-shirts, depending on the film and what they're going for. And Uh sometimes things are uh, donated at the end. Um, uh, Some things are returned, of course, if they weren't worn or if the tags are still on them. That's a a side deal that a lot of wardrobe people have with various stores. You know, they borrow things and then maybe they get, um, they say the name or something and, you know, they get some kind of deal and and then they're returned. But, um, But Sex in the City, for sure, had a lot of wardrobe because they have so many day players you know so many people that just came for like one episode and they everyone always had to look so amazing so they had a lot of wardrobe and at the end they'll often decide to keep certain pieces let's say if they if it's a show and they don't know if right. the show's going to come back another season um but yeah and you know i gotta say i went to a ton of wardrobe sales over the years and i don't feel like i'm hearing about as many anymore not just since the pandemic 
because no one's even ever sees each other except on set. You don't even be usually like in an office together that much. But um, they were starting to diminish. I think probably budgetary reasons. Right. Felt like there hasn't been a good wardrobe sale that I knew about in a long time. But um, they used to be a lot. I don't know about so much anymore. How did you? How did you get in, involved in in film? I know you went to school at USC, but how? Yeah, I just what really it? wanted to be in the film business. I, I became enamored with film uh, probably, I think, around 11th grade. I read or I saw, I mean, I used to watch old movies on TV when I was a kid. And back then, old movies were, you know, from the 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, but I became very enamored with uh, the golden age of Hollywood and just said, you know, without any other thing that I felt like being, you know, I want to be in the film business. So or I used to walk around saying, I want to be a director. But of course, that was behind this. At that time, there weren't many women at all. I mean, when I was at USC, there were only a handful of other women in the department. It was mostly guys. And, um, and when I was at USC, a lot of the other students were like sons and daughters of people in the business in LA and they had their summer jobs working on their parents film you know and stuff like that and I didn't have any connections but um I still wanted to be in the film business so that's what got me into it going to film school and then just starting to work starting on commercials and things like that in the in the 80s and um just one thing led to another really which led me to casting I well, was not like I'm going to be a casting director. I mean, there were no classes for it or anything like that. But I just kind of ended up there on my first film when I moved to New York in '86. I was working in the office, and um, they just said, "Hey, no one's handling our extras casting. You want to do?" It wasn't yeah. even like you want to do it. It was like you're doing it because it was right. a very low budget movie. Right. It was Alec Baldwin's first movie, and Debbie Harry was in it from Blondie and Hannah Shigula, German movie star. It's a very New York independent, low budget movie. And I mean, I just worked 24 seven doing wearing so many hats on that job because everybody did everything, especially me, because I've always been a multitasker. And I think I was making $200 a week and I thought I was rich. I mean, that was just like, oh my God, I'm making money doing this. And uh, anyway, I ended up learning from the casting director what to do just to cast the extras. Right. I really liked that more than the office work I was doing. And so I kept just going to parties and telling people I was going into casting and just started getting little low budget jobs. And, you know, and it was a good time in New York for getting started because there wasn't a whole lot shooting and there was also not a whole lot of competition. So all the interns, you know, I remember there were a bunch of, you know, freebie interns working on the film. And then their next thing was they were doing music videos. And since right. I was the only person they knew, they called me to do their casting for the music. I did a ton of music videos when I was first starting, you know, a lot of dancing girls and, you know, the love interest and things like that. And that's really what kicked everything off was that film just kind of mushroomed, you know, with everybody going on to different things and then calling me, which was great. So I, I ended up doing a lot of different things, right? And, you know, a lot of people go into casting by working for a casting director and then maybe they start their own business or they would go work at the soap operas and just stay in that world for a long time. I just, you know, one day it was a little music video. The next day I got an afternoon, an after school special. 
one project would be union, one project would be non-union. Right. So I just kind of started doing a lot of different aspects of it. And, and I've, I still, that's how I work. It's what I still do. As a, as a casting director, right? How do you, do you get the script first and then you decide who you're going to cast based upon No, 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 the it's not. The casting director, just let me stop you for a second. The casting director doesn't really not make any decisions. I mean, the casting director for principal casting, for the main roles, our job is to present to the director and producer or whoever wants to weigh in mm -hmm. what a lot of choices. Mm -hmm. And then you might collaborate and narrow it down to just a couple of choices. And then they keep coming back and auditioning again, or you have chemistry calls where you might pair up two of the leads to see how well they work together if it comes down to that. But casting director for the lead roles does not choose who is in that. I mean, I think in the 50s on television in New York, the old TV shows, I, when I saw the documentary about casting that came out about five or six years ago, right? those casting directors really, like they would go to a play and see, you know, Robert Redford or Dustin Hoffman in a play in New York and write their name on a file card and when they were casting whatever cop show was shooting in New York, they'd say, oh, I've got somebody for that role of like cop number four. And right, they would just right. call Dustin on the phone. And, and that would that was what started a lot of their careers. But never now would I just say, oh, here, I've got somebody for cop number four. I'd have to present, you know, 20 people for cop number four and let the director choose, you and know. Then you and then you narrow it down. So yeah. So yeah. your job is primarily just finding pers perspective actors for, for a particular role, and then you and, know, then, and you then, start then they narrowing. all audition. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I could, I, you know, yeah, I might say, you know, or I might have my heart set on somebody because I love them, or mm -hmm. I thought they was they were amazing on the audition, and it almost never is the same one the director picks, or. I mean, very, uh, sometimes it is, but, um, yeah. Uh, I remember I was working on the, uh, remake of night of the living dead, mm -hmm. like in 1990. Right. And Eric LaSalle, that actor, uh, he came in and he read for the main role and I just thought he was amazing. Very, but kind of soft-spoken. He did it a certain way. And then they ended up casting somebody else. Uh, Tony Todd, I believe was his name. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on names. It's been so long, but I mean, it was just a very different, uh, version of the character and I can see why they, they went, who would they went with, but you know, when we used to do these live auditions, right. you're sitting there at the desk with the other actor across the desk from you, that doesn't even happen really anymore. You know, everything's gone on to, and we didn't even have videotape. You know, people would come and audition. I would just write write notes like this person is great. Should see them again. You know, then we started videotaping the auditions, and then that way, then the directors, because before it was even videotape, they were just going by my recommendations of who should have a callback. You right. know, but then when we started videotaping them, when they would come in for auditions, then the director would look at them and say, "Okay, I want to see this one and this one, this one and this one." So. um yeah. From, anyway, that was the evolution of casting. <laughs> from when you got into the business to what the business is now, we're in a, we're in a digital era. A lot has changed. E even 
production company distribution you know we didn't you didn't have netflix back then uh, you no, know no. hbo maybe cinemax you know we had a few a few staple you know uh, film houses that we we know but now we have this these digital outlets hulu and so on and so forth right and they have their own production now. right so it, things have changed totally when you look back at when you started and how things are, and I mean, I'm sure you've adjusted to how things are now. Did, did you ever expect it to even make such a huge shift in the business? Um, you know, if I hadn't been married to Eric, I, I don't know. See, the thing about Eric was he really was a bit of a visionary in that he was the first person that I remember saying, you know, in the uh, early 90s, like one day we're going to be watching uh, shows and movies on our computers and and there'll be all these channels on your computer that you can watch things. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never even used email like at that time, you know, I mean, or then we had one email address for both of us and I never needed to use it. Um, but then he had a friend who was making this little talk show and the only place you could see it was on the computer. And, you know, he, he used to always say things about, you know, we're going to be watching our computer. This was before people had big smart TVs and things like that, but we're going to be watching our computers and there's going to be things made that will, you'll only see on your computer and, you know, not NBC, ABC or CBS, you know? And, um, he, uh, actually one of the first films that he made that that won a lot of awards and you know played at many festivals was a riff on that it was a takeoff a little bit a riff on hbo which was kind of the first one and um so yeah and it was about kind of the reality tv the beginning of it so he i started thinking about it differently i think because i saw it happening but being with him I'm much more aware of it you know and then it just grew, you know, when you're kind of in the process, you're not thinking about the process, not with, you know, hindsight. Right, so. right. Definitely. You're talking about the HBO film or document docuseries that he did for HBO. The hookers well, on the point and no, that's Brando, it's right. That was something else. Now, a film he made called Narrowcast, it's uh -huh. a short and it played at a lot of festivals and it was a little bit of a takeoff because he had worked for HBO. So right. he was, he called it H-O-R. H-O-R. Four. Okay. Yeah. He was, um, <laughs> he was, he, Eric was an editor, but. He was yeah. an editor, but he was also, he was a filmmaker. I mean, he, yeah, he, yeah. he made films, but his gift, like he always felt like he had this gift was editing. He could turn nothing into something manually uh analog this is before any digital right, anything right. before avid sitting there in the giant steam back or whatever editing machine he had with tape and he was really a master editor he was but he he was you know i hate to just throw the word gifted around but he was gifted you know how there's like everyone's a photographer now because everybody has a camera but right, <laughs> right, right. not everyone's a great photographer or right, gifted right. you can tell who's gifted you know 
did so. you how, how did you guys meet on cat i cast something for him uh he uh, i was working on a student film i think it was a it was a short film mm -hmm. a swedish woman was making and this woman who was the producer who was also i think swedish maybe she called me one day and she said oh i have a friend who's looking for some casting can i give him your number and i said sure and it turned out it was eric so we had a mutual friend mm -hmm. who we both had worked with and um he said he had made this movie which he was making over the years and he had started at school of visual arts but it was really like a feature film shot on 16 millimeter film uh and you know honestly he uh he had shown it he, i think he had took it to las vegas to a convention it was kind of a horror movie a campy horror horror movie and um they said oh you know you're gonna have some like you know tits there somewhere right and you'll get a distribution deal and he said I, I have to think of like a dream sequence or something in the movie where i could at least have like one girl being topless or something you know with something so just so typical of what those kind of movies have in them right and um he said can you get me someone and at the time i was always needing people to take their clothes off for various projects and not porn <laughs> but you know some music videos or every movie always had like this like the sopranos i mean i didn't work on the sopranos but you know where there's always at the bada bang right right so we always needed there was always a strip club scene in like every new york movie so i was always needing girls and they were there were many who would do it because they got their union waivers to join the union or they got a lot of money so mm -hmm. anyway i i had a couple of connections and modeling agents who would get me some girls and i got a, a girl pretty quickly and it wasn't even really gratuitous it was a dream sequence i think she was in it for like a second or two and um that's how we met and we didn't meet he um when we were done he said um well how can i what do you want me to pay you for doing that and i've always been just very easygoing about i was like it didn't take me that long you know just take me to lunch you know i wasn't always meeting people anyway and right, you know so we went right. to lunch and we just really hit it off so this business is very is a very social business where meeting people being social people gotta like you it, it, it gotta work got they have to be able to work with you as well it, it, there's a lot of that that goes on in this business right if you if you're not if you're not liked and you're not social it's gonna be you're not gonna last long in this in this business we call entertainment um yeah i can't speak for everybody or, or because it's not like i've i have been on a ton of shoots of course and but there's you know i deal with a lot of personalities and yes yeah. you don't want to burn bridges and you want to be friends and you have to know when if you're stepping over boundaries there's egos involved but when you're first starting out and you're young in new york and it's a party atmosphere, you know, I mean, there were a lot of parties, a lot of schmoozing, a lot of networking, a lot of low budget things happening that people always needed help. And, you know, I got calls all the time from students like at NYU or Columbia that they needed help casting their student film. And I remember being at USC and needing help casting my student film right. and certainly didn't pay anybody. And so I would say, you know, you don't have to pay me but you could come over and look through. So we used to have like an office full of pictures, you know? Right. And I would say, you can come over and just look through all the headshots 
you know, I'll give you that access, but you call them, you know, you do the work, but I'll sit here and we can talk and you can come and look through all the headshots and they would cast their films that way. And I wouldn't charge them. They were just doing their work and we would talk. And, um, you know, I always felt bad for students because I remember being one, so, um, who always needed things. So anyway, you know, it's always helped to be social, you know, um, and nice. And, and it's like what I was saying to you in the beginning, you know, Eric did not have to talk to me. He, he didn't have to talk to me. He, I was a nobody. He didn't have to get on the phone with me. He didn't have to take his time to, to school me and give me some jewels. Mm -hmm. And you know, I really, listen, I really appreciate that. Sure. And, and that's, and that's not only giving me the jewels, but he, he kind of like taught me how to be a little bit more social and the networking of, of oh. meeting different people. Good. Good. Now for you, uh, you've worked in a lot of films, right? A lot that you yeah. can't even remember because when we were talking, like you said to me, you said, listen, Kiko, I, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I, I don't know what I've worked on because you don't care about the credits. You, once you're done working on the films, you don't, you might not even see the film. I'm surprised that you don't even know if oh, the film came out or not. I so, and also sometimes I'll look at my IMDb if I'm updating it, but like mm -hmm. a year goes by and I'm like, oh gosh, I should update my IMDb, put on like the most recent things. And I'll see on there titles of things that I have no memory of whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I click on them and then I realize we did it like five years ago and it had a different title. And it took right. that long for it, something to happen with it. Then they changed the name. They certainly don't tell me. I mean, I'm gone out of the picture. I'm not the in the production company or anything. So but you I get, um, you still get the credit, though. Yes, usually. And if I don't see the film, I have no idea if I got a credit. And a lot of things don't have credit. I mean, a feature film or something like that, of course, 99% of the time there's credit. Right. Um, but, you know, I've also worked on a lot of commercials and a lot of uh, industrials, things for the web and mm -hmm. You know, sometimes maybe a film comes into New York for one day and you have to get like I, I'm listening like in my kids room right now. And I see I worked on this movie Hancock with Will Smith one night. They came to New York and I have he has a uh, I put my kids on it because it was like New Year's Eve or something. It, it was a summer night oh. and and the kids in the movie like are, are surrounding Will Smith and they ask for his autograph. And so Sammy got him his it just says hancock on this thing up here that he signed and I, i've a i don't even know if i've seen the film i think i i maybe i certainly know what came out we might have gone to see it but Merit sometimes when things but one day they might not have a credit you know they may only credit like the top few people in new york that helped right. you know that hired but maybe not every single crew person so i you know okay, I, nothing i can do about it after the movie comes out Right. So, but, uh, yeah. but you got a you got a million things going on. Tell me that. Well, let's talk about the most the, the big things that you've worked on. What was it like working on The Sopranos? Well, no, see, I didn't work on The Sopranos. I worked. They were in the same building. I oh, almost they... worked on The Sopranos because I was when Sex in the I was on Sex in the City the series from the what beginning. Was the same cast the or production company. Well, it was for H. They were for HBO. Uh huh. But um. But we were in the same uh, studio at Silvercup. Gotcha. 
so the aid we did sex in the city we wrapped in like june of 98 and the a couple of the assistant directors were going on to work to all the sopranos it was going to start up like a month later okay and so they were taking some of the crew from sex in the city and i remember at the wrap party for sex in the city one of the ad's said to me are you sure do you want to come do the sopranos with us and I said, no, I didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, I just didn't want, I just wrapped Sex and the City. It was a, it was a tough one. And my ba I just had a baby. And so I was busy. I just wanted to like have the summer, like not working or with the baby. Right. I did not want to start working on a mafia thing. I've worked on a few other mafia things <laughs> and I did not want to be in the mafia world all summer with right. the new baby. So right. I said, no, now, of course, it would have been like a humongous job. It would have turned into plus, I don't know that I would have been able to handle when they ended up shooting simultaneously Sex and right. the City and Sopranos. Right. I probably wouldn't have been able to, I would have had to hire like tons of people. But um, anyway, so no, I didn't work at the Sopranos, but we, we shared a, a studio and I did see them in the elevator sometimes. And I got Eric assigned, I got, I got James Gandolfini to sign a picture for Eric for his birthday once. And that was kind of, and saw him at like a birthday party because his kid went to school with like one of my kids, you know, it's like, right. it was New York. I mean, people were like together a lot, you know, definitely, a lot of people definitely. knew each other before. And that was like the first season. So it was before it was really huge, you know? Well, let's talk about sex in the city, right? Mm -hmm. There is something that so, you cast that you was well, involved. The, the background. Yeah. Now I cast different things for different people. I do the principles on some things, but I do the background casting on a lot of things. Gotcha. And it's similar, but different. The similarity is, you know, I have to place people that have the right look and, and usually the talent to fulfill certain needs. However, this is the case that I can usually pick the people, although there are some specifics usually that the director wants to pick so for instance the show i'm on now which is another hbo series um the director wants to pick certain people for certain scenes because they'll be more featured so what i do is i get a, a link online of some people who are available who i think could do it send it to him he picks so um it's what, a combination what is, what is the show about that you're currently working the on the show right now i'm just going to call it a surreal comedy okay. if you if you look on hbo max there's a show called los espookies mm -hmm. and it's the same creator julio torres he was a writer for an snl he has had some stand-up online on youtube um and los espookies i think got some uh, it was two seasons and it's a cute show he has an interesting sensibility uh, which you can also see evident in his stand-up when he was first starting out. But we'll just say it's a little bit surreal, and it's a comedy, and it's trendy, and it's very hip. Okay, well, I am a funny guy, Meredith, okay? I need you to cast me. <laughs> okay, so find something for me to do. Just, okay, I'm, well. You know, listen, I don't want to put you on the spot right now, but well, I'm no, because I, I have to have something to cast, you know, that would... <laughs> be worth your while to come <laughs> to New York, yeah. not just to be an extra. So, well, I got, uh, I got you. you know, um, but I did have a commercial a, a few years back for like Lotrimin or something where right. the director only wanted to see people that had a comedy improv background. 
Gotcha. And they were hysterical auditions. It was back in the live auditions, and we were laughing our heads off all day. But the but people were improving. No, it was I don't. Great. I don't. I don't. I, I I was just giving you a hard time. I don't have a comedy background. Oh, okay. I, well, but, no. Almost everyone I talk to tells me that I have no, to no, cast them in something. So no, no, no. I I don't. I, I don't have a comedy background. But if you find okay. something, if you have something where someone's doing a talk show or a radio show, I'm your guy. Okay. Okay. But I want to talk to you about. Sex in the City for a moment, but not exactly Sex in the City. There was a while back you cast something called No Love in the City, right? And you didn't realize, well, you didn't cast the principal, you know, you did you, you did the New York actors in this Right, show. I did the New York principals, which are, you know, when a movie comes in from another country, it usually brings the big stars mm -hmm. with them. And then the characters who only shoot in New York I've done those. Sometimes they'll take them back to Russia or Italy or France because right. they end up doing a scene and they'll take them with them. But usually they come with the, the big leads from that country. Yes. Gotcha. Well, so, I, got the, I got the call sheet on the screen right now. Mm -hmm. Right. The call sheet on the screen says number three, Vladimir Zelensky. Right. Yep. But but before we. He was an it, actor forget we all we all have heard that he was an actor and a comedian before he got into politics so there you go well i heard he was a comedian i didn't know he was an actor well you know i do recall that being a funny movie so i guess he could act enough that he i mean i wasn't involved in the casting sessions in russia i don't know who the director knew right. um but i thought i'd heard that he i mean i had heard he was a comedian but you know so a lot of comedians do movies you true, know, true. Uh, I have no idea what I didn't even look at his IMDb to see what other movies he might have been in back then. But it was right. like not a secret at that time. Of course, I had no idea who he was, but I didn't cast him. I just cast like everyone else on that call sheet under him. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, but it was actually the one of the actors brought that to my attention the other day. So because I cast uh, him as something else. Let me let me. Uh... Let me show you the trailer because you haven't even seen it. Exactly. A lot of things you work on, you don't even see. Meredith, we got to work don't. on. We got to work on that. I forget about them. We have to work on that. But let me. Let I me mean, I love seeing them if they play at a movie theater near me. Of course, I do go. <laughs> and there used to be a lot of crew screenings where we would be invited to go. But right. You know, pandemics changed everything. True. Let's play the trailer. We'll come back. We'll talk. Секс в большом городе. Это не проблема. Привет! Забив вчера! Ура! А вот это проблема. Девочки. Родники мои. Чем я могу вам помочь? Если провести аналогию с животным миром, мой гепард перестал охотиться. Мой северный олень стал южным. Винни-Пух отказывается лезть в дупло. Мед его больше не интересует. Дело. I think I saw him, right? Yeah. I saw him for a second, yeah. Yeah. Yeah? No, I, yeah, definitely a silly movie. And yeah, the, definitely the, the Sex and the City girls there that walking by, you know, that was a big deal to kind of find because they, they worked a lot and they uh, had lines from what I remember. Um, 
that was fun casting for sure. He, he's the person and then there was a lot of Russian people that I had to find people that spoke, I think spoke Russian. I don't remember. Again, it was like what, 10 years ago, um, maybe more. Yeah. 15 years ago. So, so people in New York, you had to find Russian speaking actors. Yes. And there's quite a few, there's a lot there, you know, there's a big Russian, you know, Brighton beach, right. Brooklyn. There's a lot of Russians. That's probably where they have the movie on DVD somewhere in one of the Russian stores. Um, I think somebody told me that they saw it there. Um, but there are, there are quite a lot of Russian actors and Russian speaking actors in New York. So it wasn't, you know, it was interesting, but I found a lot. Yeah. You've seen him on the news. He's the president yep. of Ukraine now. And one of the actors brought it to your attention. Now you look at him, you've seen him on the news. Like, Wait a minute. This guy was in something that I cast. Makes me like six degrees away, right? Absolutely. I couldn't say that before. <laughs> Absolutely. I, my name, I hope, was on the back of the call sheet. So we're on the same call sheet. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But that's got to be fun, though. You know, you 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 get involved in a project and then you don't realize that, you know, but when you get involved in projects, you don't know where what's going to happen with the project. Some of these projects, right. don't, like, as you mentioned previously, they don't come out, maybe take five, six years for them to come out. By that time, you've already moved on to, to 20 other projects. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I don't even see it or, uh, you know, I mean, some things do come out quickly. Uh, um, but yeah, it also depends. If you're working on a TV show, then it's, I mean, when Sex and the City, when we shot that, it was going to air a few weeks later, you know, or a month or two later. I can't really remember. I worked on a TV show called Ed at the same time and Ed was on TV and that, you know, a few weeks later, the episode, we could watch it and see people, you know, that we knew, whatever. So TV, if it was a show that was like on the air was quick, it's the movies that can sometimes take a while. Yeah. True. Well, from what Eric was doing, editing, it takes time. Oh my God. Editing. That's the, the craziest thing. I mean, editing, it takes so much time and a lot of people just thought, Oh, you'll just whip this up. No, <laughs> you know, no, it's like magic, right? It's like, no, this could take, you know, three weeks of editing nonstop to give you a little piece, you know, and a lot of people didn't quite get that and expected him to do it or any editor to do it very quickly. And yes, maybe somebody could do it very quickly on their phone, but he wasn't like that. You know, he was at the machines, headphones on, picking music, going over a cut over and over and over and over again, you know, running it by everyone, making, changing things, you know, very meticulous, to very tell, meticulous. Just to tell, just to tell a, a three minute story. Takes a lot of time. Takes a oh, lot of time. yes, <laughs> it does. If you have a lot of footage, if you don't, if you just have one camera set up, Maybe not that hard. You find a few things to cut away to if you need to or B-roll. But if you have a few cameras, it's a lot. You have to go through every shot and edit them together. You know, you got to pick the best moments from each camera and see how they work together. So, yeah. Takes a Another long time. project you work on, Robert Peace. Tell me about this. Well, that just wrapped. Yeah, that's very... Um, 
it's really gut-wrenching. Um, I'm, I'm sure that movie will come out, I'm hoping. I mean, she went edgy for is a super talent power and, um, you know, from 12 Years a Slave and, and The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind is his film that's on Netflix. Uh, it's a very sad story. Mm -hmm. And um, and we just wrapped it. We shot in uh, December and January. God, on November, December, January. I already, already can't remember, but it was recently. And um, it was, uh, I mean, I never got to set. I mean, this is the thing about what I do when I cast the background. Uh, is I, I'm not on set. So I was on set when I was younger uh, because it was just kind of different back then. It wasn't didn't move so fast right with the digital age so you could go hang out on set and you didn't really miss anything my job now i feel like if i walk away from the computer i'm going to miss a gazillion things that have to do with the job. <laughs> emails flying back and forth about wardrobe and call times and call sheets and right. you know locations and COVID testing and back then i mean you just at the end of the day you got a phone call here's what people should wear and here's where they go you know had the whole day to like you know do other things but um anyway uh what was i saying uh yes yeah, so i i'm not on set like i used to be so i i didn't get to but you know people even now on on the julio torres project i'm on hbo people email me at the end of the day and say oh my god i had such a great time it was such a fun set everybody was so nice and you know they don't have to do that they don't do that with every project so I know it's a good one when a lot of people do it, you know? Right. So, um, and on, on Rock Pisa, I got, I got plenty of those, you know, this was really great emails, which is nice. You know, I mean, people used to write handwritten thank you notes sometimes, you know, so don't really get those anymore, <laughs> but you get the quick email um, or text. But, um, but anyway, yeah, it's, it'll be a, a gut wrencher for sure. Definitely. I want to play something for you. One of the last projects Eric has work, worked on, uh, the book of Clarence, I believe it's called, uh, you're, you've took on that project since he has passed, right? Um, and trying and to let it live. Yes. It's your baby now. Yes. Um, I, I was certainly sat next to Eric the majority of the time and watched him editing and heard him editing. If I was working on my things that we had a very small apartment in New York. So like literally we could see what each other was doing all day long and hear each other across the table. And I'd be doing my computer work and casting and a lot of it being online. I wasn't on the phone as much as I used to be. I used to be like casting, 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 casting. Internet came along. Boom. I don't want to talk to anybody anymore. Just gotcha. email much easier and quiet. And, um, and he would be over the other side of the table, you know, editing and I could, but he might have headphones on, so I might not hear it, but, um, and we did, I go, I did go with him on some shoots. We shot the blind boys of Alabama at the, uh, New Orleans jazz fest in 2015. We went to Clarence Fountain's house, you know, Sam Butler and Clarence Fountain came to our house here in Massachusetts where I am right now. So. I was, you know, peripherally involved a bit of the time and certainly went to all the screenings and was just trying to help any way that I could. And um, that's Sam. Uh, Sam makes his own, uh, you know, records uh, besides the records he was on in the past with the Blind Boys and other bands. He has many solo records. And that was when they came to New York 
for the uh, revival of Gospel at Colonus at the Delacorte in Central Park. Mm -hmm. And Sam and, and uh, was Clarence there? Gosh, I can't remember. Um, but Sam, I, I just ran around with Sam for an hour on the Upper West Side where they were staying, where the blind boys were staying, and um, shot some photos of him, one that he used on one of his last records. Um, and we had a great time. But anyway, since um, Eric was really, I think Eric was really kind of holding out for a really great deal for the movie to get a distribution deal. And then the pandemic hit and it just didn't seem like, and then with Netflix and, and all the streaming sites, you know, that maybe large deals are not um, made anymore, you know, for a documentary. Um, and, uh, and then with his uh, passing, you know, I have I have shelf fulls of shelves full of material from the movie, and not that anyone needs the backup, you know, the tapes and the paperwork and everything. But I'm like, I don't want the movie just to disappear. You know, is there anything that I can do to help it? And another friend of Eric's, who's a filmmaker locally, she really helped me by sending it to a distributor that she knows and. One thing led to another, and and a um, Planet Distribution uh, reached out to me and said they were very interested in the educational rights because they really felt the movie should be seen in academia, gotcha. and that's uh, a really beautiful film. Anyone who sees it, you know, it gets standing ovations and and everything. You know, people love it, not just about because of the Blind Boys music, but about the journey of of um, kidney disease because that's what Clarence ended up dealing with. Uh, but, um, anyway, so we're in the process of, I've become the head of the LLC in Eric's name, uh, because I'm the probate and, uh, there's four other members and, uh, so we're moving on. So I got this education deal. Uh, and then that company also sometimes has films that go on to other things, Netflix deals, etc. So it's the first step. Definitely. I'd rather have it be out there somewhere than nowhere, you know? Absolutely. Let me play a clip from one of his final projects. We'll come back. We'll talk. Okay. I know where we're going. One, two, one, two, three. Where I'm going. I know where I'm going to the promised land. Nowhere. Yeah. 
that is uh, Clarence and Sam Butler, who work great together and great separately. And yeah, if you ever get a chance to see, I mean, Clarence has moved on now. Um, he passed away a couple of years ago, but Sam, um, he has a, you know, does a lot of gospel. I believe he's a church in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you ever get a chance to hear him perform, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. His records are great. Sam Butler. He's been performing since he was a baby, you know, Saturn's going to tell us great stories about his background in, in the movie, the book of Clarence, which should be available, you know, within a few months through academia, possibly even seen, um, with your library card. You know, you might be able to see it if right. uh, through uh, Canopy, but we'll send you, you know, a, an email about it when it's available just to be seen anywhere, you know. Definitely. Meredith, it was a pleasure having you here today. It's you great. Know, you got, Thank you. You got to come back. You got to cast me in something. Something. Mm -hmm. Meredith, we'll get your role somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere, you know, somewhere so I can get a union card. Oh, <laughs> yep. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, listen, uh, on a serious note, it, it was a pleasure having you here. Uh, I'd love to have you back. I I miss your husband a lot, man. I miss his conversation. Yeah. I miss his genuineness. He, he was really a, a, a kind hearted, uh, help you kind of guy. Um, mm -hmm. Gave me a lot of jewels and I'm uh, I'm extremely grateful. So. Well, great. I'm, I'm so glad that he was able to do that. And, you know, I'll certainly come back if you want me to, and I'll keep you posted about any projects for sure. Definitely. I want you to come back. Uh, thank you again. And you enjoy. And, you know, I will see you back here soon. I, I will look forward to your email. You got me cast in something. Hey, man, I'm your guy, you know. As long as I stay in the business. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank Sometimes you I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, Meredith. It was a pleasure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Kiko. All right. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.